Good morning. Welcome to Discovery's Digital Gathering. We are glad you're here. We are excited for what God has in store this morning. We want to invite you to download our app, which will help you stay current with our community and get further connected by filling out our new visitor card. Let's prepare our hearts for worship and for the adventure of discovering the good news of Jesus together. Meet me in the New Testament book of Acts. Acts comes after the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? The four accounts of the life of Jesus. Right after that, we get the book of Acts, which tells us the story of the church, the first church. We're going to be in this conversation here for a little while. Before we get into it, though, I just want to say this. Thank you so much for your feedback on solitude. Remember last week we considered the practice of solitude and silence. Hopefully you're beginning to um, implement some of those things uh, in your own life. Just want to do a quick plug. We have a resource for that practice on our webpage and on our app if you want some more direction or some things to explore there please check that out. But whatever you're doing, dig into that even as we move our conversation here to the book of Acts. I think there's a great invitation for those two things to even overlap. But it was great to get some feedback on that. I learned a lot this uh, last week. In particular, I learned that I need to get some noise-canceling headphones. So I appreciate your willingness to share some of those things with me. All right, the book of Acts is where we are, and again, where we will be now for several weeks. Let's begin with a story. Ernest Shackleton is, was a British explorer who uh, went on several expeditions to the South Pole. His most famous expedition, though, is the one that went incredibly spectacularly wrong. So in 1914, Shackleton Uh, is preparing for his third trip down to the South Pole. He posts this ad. It's one of the most amazing things that I've ever read. Here's how the ad reads. He says, Men wanted for hazardous journey. Low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in event of success. (laughs) It's so good. Now, uh, in, in the sake of, or for the sake of full disclosure, many historians doubt whether that is actually the real ad that he placed, but it's still awesome. And it also tells you a little bit about both what he was up against in this journey and also a little bit of foreshadowing of how it ended up. Shackleton, though, did, however, you know, whatever ad he put in the newspaper, did rally a crew. They loaded up a ship called the Endurance. Again, a little bit of foreshadowing, even in the boat that they got on. And they head south, only to get stuck in the ice before they even make it to the continent of Antarctica. They look, or they took various measures to try to get themselves unstuck from the ice, but the ice ends up crushing the ship, at which point they decide it's time to try to head home. But of course, not an easy thing to do without a ship. So they wait for the ice to start melting and then they sail their three little lifeboats, about 25 guys on three little lifeboats to Elephant Islands. When they finally get there, it was their first time on solid ground in 497 
days. Now, getting to Elephant Island, not even close to the end of the story. It happened to be uninhabited and very few ships passed by that island. And so there was no hope of rescue. Shackleton then leaves most of the crew on the island, takes four guys with him. They sail one of the lifeboats to a whaling island called South Georgia. Very treacherous journey even in and of itself. They're able to get there, again, against uh, great odds. They are unable to get the lifeboat around to the side of the island where there are people. So they land on, on the uh, unsettled side of the island and then they have to hike <clears throat> over a mountain, right, over a mountain range to get to the other side. Now, a lot of people argue this is actually the most incredible part of the whole endeavor, getting to the other side of the island, but they do it. All five of them get to the other side, convince a whaling ship to pick up, to go with them and pick up the rest of the crew. And when they finally arrive back at Elephant Island, four months after they left, the whole crew was still there. No one had died. There are books, there are movies, there are legends about Ernest Shackleton and the aptly named Endurance Expedition. And for good reason, right? This is a crazy, incredible, inspiring adventure story. And this is one of the reasons why I love the book of Acts. Acts is the origin story of the first church. It's it tells us, it gives us insight into what the first followers of Jesus do after his resurrection from the dead and then his ascension to heaven. And here's the thing, it is no dry history lesson. This is an incredible adventure story about a small group of crazy people who actually believe they can fulfill the mission that Jesus gives them to take the good news about Jesus and his kingdom to the ends of of the earth. They are crazy enough to think they can do it and they, they go for it despite huge odds stacked against them in the face of all sorts of uncertainty and opposition. Amazing story. And amazing smaller stories within the larger story of the book of Acts. Now, all too often, the conversation around church our approach to church, it, it tends to run in the direction of what is in it, what's in it for me, right? Like what's there for my kids to do? What programs do you have? Do I agree with the doctrine? How's the worship music? Uh, or, you know, there's kind of this angle of like, well, I have to do this. I got to go to a church. I have this like duty that I need to fulfill or I need to learn more stuff, you know, spiritual education perspective on church. Whatever it is, it's not oh, this is a wild, crazy adventure. I can't wait to see what's going to happen next, right? Where in the larger church conversation is the risk? Where is the, I'm not sure how this thing is going to work out. Where's the look at the amazing thing that God just did? In other words, where's the adventure? We've lost the sense of adventure that's just so inherent in the mission that the early church Undertook. Now, this, this last year, right, has given us a little bit of a taste of the adventure, right? And, and while we would not have wished this or engineered this in any way, the disruptions of COVID, if there's any good 
to come out of it, the disruptions of COVID, it has forced us into a bit of an early church posture, right? That risk, that uncertainty, that who knows how this is going to turn out feeling. There's been some of that. And I think in, in that way, it's been good for us because we tend, right? We tend to grow way too comfortable. And we tend to settle for far less than the incredible adventure that our loving, good, wild, gracious God is inviting us to go on with Him. We miss the adventure, right? Humans wanted for a hazardous journey. No wages, certain persecution, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition, a well-done, good and faithful servant in completion of the mission. Are you with me? Now, a couple months ago, back in January, we laid out our vision for the year, right? We named that we sensed God was leading us in certain ways, that we're no longer a church in transition. We are a church that is building, right? We're in this building phase, building a new kind of church, uh, building new teams to accomplish our mission, building new expressions of the kingdom, the, these new groups called mid-sized communities, and even this process of looking for a literal building, right? A 24-7 space to become our center of operations. In the last five months, we've got our deacon team off and running. Mid-sized communities are uh, just over a month into this new adventure. We have other great teams that are, that are either forming or being added to, to again, help us uh, accomplish our mission. And we even have some hot leads on a new space for our community. We're looking forward to inviting you into praying for that in the next couple of weeks. All of this is great. All of this is great, but we are still very much in uncertain times. And even when things return to normal, whatever that might mean, it will not look like the way it used to be. And so in the middle of uncertainty, Acts is a great place for us to turn. Right, the title of our conversation is ecclesia, which is just the Greek word for church, the word that gets translated church into English in the book of Acts. We turn here because we want our imaginations for the church, for what the capital C church could be, for what our expression of the church here at Discovery in Davis, California, what it could be. We want our imaginations formed and fired for the adventure that God has given us as a church in this place. We want our appetites whetted for this adventure. We want more of it. We want to remember that in uncertain times, this is when God often does his most interesting work, and we want to be a part of that. Are you with me? Now, the book of Acts is really a part two of the book of Luke, right? So again, Luke, one of the four uh, accounts of the life of Jesus. Luke chapter one, the author tells us that his purpose is to write an orderly account of the life and teaching of Jesus. In the same way, Acts starts like this. In my former book, Theophilus, this is the, the name of the person that Luke is writing to. It might be an actual person, maybe a patron who paid him to do this work, or perhaps it, it just 
uh, is kind of a general term for anyone who might be reading his work. But he says, in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And then right there, he just launches in to the story. So let's walk through some parts here of chapter one. Jesus, after his resurrection, he appears many times to his disciples and his other followers over the course of 40 days. We see this in verse 3. As he makes these appearances, Luke wants us to see that Jesus is not a ghost. He, he's not some sort of uh, like, uh, you know, spirit, figure, whatever, uh, extraterrestrial type of thing. He is a full human being still in his resurrected state. One of the ways that we see this is Luke goes out of his way both in Luke chapter 24 and here in Acts chapter 1 to talk about Jesus eating meals with his disciples. Jesus, fully human, fully God, completely resurrected from the dead and still very much in his human body. During this 40-day period, Jesus uh, hangs out, shares meals, but also continues to teach his team about the kingdom of God. Apparently, they still have a lot to learn, and we'll see this revealed here in just a moment. Then Jesus tells them the next big important thing that they are to do, the first part of their adventure is wait. <laughs> Hang out in Jerusalem and wait until I go and the Holy Spirit comes. As you might imagine, this is all a bit confusing to the disciples. They've already been through a lot. Jesus died. He came back from the dead. He keeps showing up. They've got a lot to wrap their minds around. So they do what a lot of us do in uncertainty and confusion. They go back to the old model. They go back to their old ideas and conceptions. They go back to what is comfortable and familiar. They ask Jesus, when does the kingdom get restored to Israel? And they're thinking, they're thinking literal kingdom, right? The fulfillment of the kingdom of David, which uh, last year we spent a lot of time looking at, right? The early kingdom, uh, Saul, and then, and then David becoming king. That was their ideal, right? They wanted to go back to that place where a good king like David was ruling, literally ruling over Israel. Their imaginations are still being formed by the new thing. Jesus, I think, understands. I've, I've overcome sin and death. I, I've given myself as the sacrifice for their sins to restore right relationship. I've done all this stuff, resurrected from the dead, but now I'm going to need to explain to them a little bit more now, now that they kind of get what, what this was all about, I need to explain to them a little bit more about this new thing. He teaches them about the kingdom, and they still want to know when the literal kingdom gets restored to Israel. This is our tendency, right? It's to want to go back. It, it, it happens all over the story of Scripture. In the Old Testament, God's people, the people of Israel, are rescued from slavery in Egypt. They get out into freedom but they're in the desert and it's hot and sandy and they don't have some of the things that they had even when they were slaves. And so they complain, right? Like, Send us back. We'd rather be slaves and have onions than hang out in this desert, right? That tendency in uncertainty to go back. It takes time for our imaginations to catch up to what God is doing. And in those uncertain moments, we go right back to this is how we used to do it. This is what we know. This is how it used to work. I liked it better back there. At least I knew what we were doing. 
There's an important word here for us. <laughs> Jesus does not invite us to go back. Jesus does not invite us to go back. The invitation is always to move forward with him. We cannot just default back to what used to work, what we are used to as we think, dream, imagine, plan, strategize, whatever words you want to use for discovery, for this new kind of church that we are building. There's going to be a tendency to want to go back. But the adventure, the adventure is, the, is in what lies in front of us, right? And it's not just here. I, I see this all over the place. This strong pull in the church to preserve and maintain. In our own way, we continue to ask Jesus the question the disciples ask, right? When are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? When are you going to take us back to the glory days of, of whatever moment that was either for us or in our collective imagination but Jesus says hey the vision is way bigger (laughs) what I am doing in the world is way bigger than the kingdom restored to Israel and in particular what Jesus is saying this thing is for everyone this good news this kingdom of God it is for everyone this kingdom is for everyone. And we're going to see this throughout the book of Acts as we make our way through the story. We're going to see this slow dawning realization of, oh, (laughs) oh, that's how big this really is. It's going to be that inclusive. They get to be a part of this. Ethnically, culturally, across nationalities, socioeconomically, gender, the big radical inclusiveness of the new humanity that Jesus is creating in himself. Are you with me? Now, Jesus then gives his Shackleton-esque mission statement. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Watch the progression in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Again, this is way bigger than the kingdom of Israel. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, I would love to talk a little bit more about what happens next. Jesus ascends to heaven, right? He, he physically leaves uh, the presence of his disciples. This, of course, is still very confusing for the disciples. They go into a period of waiting. They, they do this strange discernment process to replace Judas. And then that's kind of how the chapter ends, a little bit of a cliffhanger, right, with waiting tension, uncertainty. What do we do now? What is this Holy Spirit thing all about? Our focus though today is on Jesus's mission statement, right? This thing that he says here in Acts 1.8, very similar to what he says at the end of the book of Matthew. Again, another account of the life of Jesus, where he says to his disciples right before his ascension to heaven, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Right? Both of these statements are awesome. These huge 
calls to adventure all nations, ends of the earth, make disciples, baptize people, teach them. You will have power. The Holy Spirit is going to be with you. Jesus is with us. His presence and power are with us to the very end of the age. I mean, how epic is that? And again, our tendency is to just come back to like what is comfortable and familiar and important to us. And we miss this, this invitation to an incredible adventure. The other tendency we have here, and again, this is not bad per se, but we want to get into the how, right? Like, so how do we do this? How do we make disciples? How do we reach all nations? What's our strategy? These are good and important questions, but for this morning, for today, as we continue to live in the uncertainty of a pandemic, as we uh, roll up our sleeves and build something new together as a church, as we go on this adventure together, I want us to know what we have, uh, not just how we're going to do it. I want us to know what we have, not just how we are going to do it or what we need to do to get it done. In Matthew, Jesus says, my authority and presence are yours. Always. To the end of the age. In Acts, Jesus says, you are my witnesses and you will have power. You have a story. You are a witness and you will have my power with you and in you, my presence with you and in you, and that is all you will need for this adventure. Power and witness. In uncertain times, we don't go back. We forge ahead in power and with our stories into whatever the next adventure is. Now, we're going to talk a lot more about what this power is all about, this Holy Spirit, in the coming weeks. But for today, I want you to hear very clearly, you have power. You have power. God's presence is with you. Jesus is with you always, he says, even to the ends of the age. You have power and you have a story. You have a story. Witness does not mean that we have all the answers, the perfect arguments, that we have charts and graphs. Some of those things can be quite helpful. But witness means you have seen something. You have experienced something. You have a story to tell. You have power. Power and witness. This is what you have as we go on this adventure together. Now, as we get ready for communion, I want to read to you from John chapter 10. John, again, another account of the life of Jesus. Jesus says some really, I think, interesting, I think, incredibly encouraging things here in John chapter 10. Let me just read a snippet of it for you. Jesus says, I am the gate Whoever enters through me will be saved. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? It's in Jesus that we find salvation, life, grace, 
love, identity, all of these foundational things. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pastor. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly, as it says in some other translations. Next, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd, does not know the sheep. And so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks and the flock scatters. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for my sheep. There's a lot going on in those statements. The couple things that I want to I want to point out is this. First, Jesus comes that we may have life. Abundant life that starts now and lasts into eternity. There are other forces, there are other voices, and I think some of them are even inside the church that are going to want to steal the joy of the adventure that Jesus has for us. But Jesus says, that's not me. I'm the good shepherd. I'm with my sheep always to the very end of the age. Shepherd. The other thing that Jesus, of course, says here is, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He talks about how he lays his life down for the sheep. And this, of course, is what we celebrate in this moment that we call communion. Where we remember that Jesus is our good shepherd who lays down his life for us. These simple elements, bread and juice, bread and wine, uh, toast and coffee, whatever you have this morning. We come around this table, we take and eat these elements, we share this meal every week, right? Just as Jesus had a meal with his disciples, we share this meal every week to remember the good news. We have a good shepherd who will not abandon us, who comes to give us life. When other competing voices are trying to steal and kill and destroy, Jesus is saying the life, the adventure, the abundance is over here. Come around this table. Friends, we are called to a great adventure with this God who loves us, who has sent his son to die in our place, to take away our sins, that we can have a relationship with him starting right now. We can join the adventure right now and be a part of it into eternity. When you're ready, take and eat. As we go out this morning, let these words, a paraphrase of Acts 1 and 8, be our benediction, our good word. You have power from the Holy Spirit to be Jesus's witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Davis, Woodland, Yolo County, and to the ends of the earth. Grace and peace, friends.